going to take a break from our evening sermon series on the books of the Bible just for one week. Going to do something different once in a while and going to look at uh, an attribute of God. Uh, specifically, we're gonna, text is going to be Job twelve thirteen, and we'll be getting around uh, a little bit, but Job twelve thirteen. Get to Hosea next week, Lord willing. Job twelve thirteen, and apparently I didn't put my bookmark in like I thought I did. One verse. <clears throat> this is what we read: To God belong wisdom and power; counsel and understanding are His. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, to you belong wisdom and power, to you and you alone. We praise you that you are the wise God and that by your wisdom you created, by your wisdom you sustain all things according to your providence, by your wisdom you redeemed us. Let's to see these truths and more tonight for Jesus' sake. Amen. Just uh, finished reading a book called On Desperate Ground. If you're looking for a good war story, I might commend it to you. It's not why I note it, though. It's about the battle of the Chosen Reservoir uh, during the early stages of the Korean War. It is, uh, to this day, one of the most harrowing battles in the history of the United States military. In October of 1950... General Douglas MacArthur, we know him from his antics in World War II, but he was at this time the Supreme Commander. That was his title, and he actually acted like it, and that's kind of how he carried himself, as if he was the Supreme Commander. He was the Supreme Commander of U.S. forces in the Pacific and in Asia, and he convinced President Harry Truman that the communist forces of North Korea could be wiped out completely by Thanksgiving. This is in October, so... Basically, a month later, Truman said, well, you know, we we pushed north too far. The Chinese are going to get involved. And and MacArthur said, absolutely not. It's not going to happen. Send in the troops. We'll take them out by Thanksgiving. Well, as MacArthur was speaking, basically, the Chinese were in the process of sending 300,000 of their troops secretly across the border into North Korea in order that they might assist the North Korean forces and engage the Americans. The U.S. had no idea. At least those at the top had no idea. Some of the lower commanders were suspicious. But MacArthur, he had no idea. He sent a mere 20,000 troops. 300,000? 20,000. He sent a mere 20,000 troops deep into the mountains of North Korea, near the Manchurian border, directly into a trap that the Chinese had set for them in the Chosen Reservoir. Now, the story recounts the bravery with which the American soldiers fought in frigid weather against an army 15 times their size. It really is a remarkable story of bravery and courage and ingenuity and all that. But the point that's belabored, at least 
throughout the first half of the book is that the reason the American soldiers were in this mess was because of General MacArthur's arrogance. He refused to listen to those who cautioned him about the Chinese, and many, many, many lives were lost because of it. As I said, even before the battle, some of his commanding officers in the field wondered out loud to one another and in their journals if the general knew what he was doing in sending the army deep into the mountains of North Korea. And it's a sick feeling, isn't it? Wondering if the one in charge has any idea what he's doing. This is the good news of Job 12, 13 and passages like it. Because it tells us that our God, who isn't just the supreme commander of the U.S. forces in the Pacific, but is the sovereign ruler of the entire cosmos, he knows what he's doing. He is wise, supremely wise, infinitely wise. And this is, just, this is just one verse that makes that point. Here are a few more. Job 9.4 says, His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Psalm 18.30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And Colossians 2.3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible makes it clear that our God, who who sovereignly rules over heaven and earth, He does so with wisdom. And that ought to bring us tremendous comfort as we live our lives in this world. Now, as we we talk about God's wisdom for a few minutes tonight, we're going to do so under two simple headings. The first is God's wisdom defined. The second is God's wisdom defined displayed. God's wisdom defined, God's wisdom displayed. So first, God's wisdom defined. What does the Bible mean when it says God is wise? What what does that mean? This is what J.I. Packer says. I think it's, it's a good definition. He says, in Scripture, wisdom is a moral as well as an intellectual quality. More than mere intelligence or knowledge, just as it is more than mere cleverness or cunning. For us to be truly wise in the biblical sense, our intelligence and cleverness must be harnessed to a right end. And this is the part I underlined. Wisdom is the power to see and inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal, together with the surest means of attaining it. So according to Packer's definition, the wisdom of the Bible is is two things. It's the power to see and choose the highest, most supreme end, together with the, the surest means of attaining the most high and supreme end. It's to know the highest end, and it's to know how to get to the highest end. Sometimes we, we don't know the way we need to go, do we? There's a couple decisions before us, for instance. We don't even know which way is right. We don't even know what is the highest end, as it were. In that case, we, we lack wisdom. We don't even know the way we ought to go. We don't even know where we want to get. 
It's like Alice in Wonderland. She comes to the fork in the road, and there sits the Cheshire cat. And she says, which way should I go? And the Cheshire says, I don't know. Well, that depends. Where are you trying to get to? And she says, I don't know. And the cat says, then it doesn't matter. (laughs) That's us sometimes, isn't it? It's me a lot of times. Sometimes we, we do know, though. Sometimes we do know the way we need to go. But maybe we, we don't actually know how to get there. Perhaps the doctor says, hey, listen, you need to eat healthier. You, you, you need to eat healthier. That's the end you need to attain, but you don't even know how to begin, right? You don't know how to get there. You look in your cupboard and you're like, where do I start? Once again, you lack wisdom. So, so biblical wisdom consists of both knowing where we need to go, knowing where we want to end up, and knowing how we're going to get there. And so when we say God is wise, we're saying God knows exactly where things need to go, exactly where things need to end up, and he knows exactly how to get things where they need to go. To dumb it down a little, we might say God's wisdom refers to the fact that he knows the best way to get us to the best place. The Westminster Confession reminds us that the the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We might say that's the end God has in view for all of us, to this this place of of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. That's the best place, and even now God, God is taking us on the best possible route to that place. But that's what we mean when we talk about God's wisdom. He knows the best way to get us to the the best, supreme, highest place. Next, let's consider God's wisdom displayed. Where is it that God makes His his supreme wisdom and His perfect ways known to us? Well, I, I think we can identify at least three places where God's wisdom is displayed. First one is in creation. Just just think for a moment of of creation. Think about the earth. The earth is the absolute perfect distance from the sun. If it was any closer, we'd burn up. If it was any farther away, we'd freeze to death. But as it is, we can live here. We can grow crops here and vegetation grows here and and it can sustain life. And, And and, and the fact that the earth is it's situated so perfectly in space as it's tilted on its axis that we have, we have just enough cold for part of the year to have winter, just enough heat to have summer, right? The earth is just set perfectly in space. We look on this and we see all of it is according to the wisdom of God. Think of the shark. As we know, a shark has teeth. I think of the word shark. I think of baby shark to doodle. Do you guys have little kids at home? Do you guys have little kids at home? Creepy, man. YouTube is messed up. Anyway, um, shark has teeth, right? Except Grandpa Shark. What do you do like that? Go on YouTube if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? A shark has teeth. And a shark needs teeth if it's going to survive. Without, without teeth, a shark would not be able to eat. Now, what's interesting is that a shark's aggressive eating habits cause them to lose a lot of teeth. Now, again, a shark needs teeth. So losing teeth, a lot of them, that's bad for a shark. Yet, did you know that shark's teeth 
are arranged in rows in their mouths, one behind another. We have, we have like one row, but they'd have like row upon row upon row behind, behind each other and behind each other. Some sharks have as, few as, have as few as five rows of teeth. Other sharks have as many as 50 rows of teeth. And these, these rows of teeth, they sort of act like conveyor belts that when one tooth is lost, another tooth pushes forward and takes its place. So a shark loses teeth and it still has a full mouth of teeth. And that's good because a shark needs teeth. Of course, as, we, as Christians, we, we know what this is. It's not, just, it's not just a random act of nature and evolution. It's the wisdom of God and creation. Think of the poison dart frog from South America. They are a rainbow of brilliant colors. Yellow, gold, copper, red, blue, green. They're just astonishingly beautiful, I'm told. I've never actually seen one. Uh, they're also very, very deadly And these bright colors, as beautiful they are, they're meant to be a warning to people and to animals that you better stay away. Again, what is this but the wisdom of God in creation? I love the end of Job. It's one of my favorite favorite parts of the Bible. Job and his friends were questioning, really, the Lord's wisdom, weren't they, throughout much of the book. And then the Lord comes and he, he speaks to Job, chapters 38, 39, and 40. And what the Lord does here is really just testify to, to his supreme and infinite wisdom that's seen in creation. I'll read you part of it. This is from Job 38. Job 38. And I have it printed here. I'm not sure if I start at verse 1. I'm not exactly sure where I started. I printed it here. Maybe you can find it. But this is from Job 38. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? It's verse 19 and 20. Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no man lives, a desert with no one in it, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen. It's just, a, just an excerpt of the Lord's words to Job. But basically, the Lord is, is, is testifying to His supreme and perfect wisdom in creation. Right? He's saying, Job, Job, I've done all this. All right? I've done all this. I work in ways that are far beyond your ability to comprehend. A second place we see God's wisdom displayed is in His, in his providence. Providence is, is the power of God by which he, he rules and governs and orders everything that happens in creation. Okay, we don't believe in luck. Things don't happen by luck. They happen by providence, right? Providence is, is, is God's sovereignty over creation. God's wisdom is displayed in His providence. We see this in Scripture. It's one of my favorite themes. Genesis 50, verse 20. This is where Joseph is talking to his brothers. Jacob has died. His brothers are like, oh, no. Dad's gone. Joseph's going to turn on us. He owes us one. Uh, And they kind of plead for forgiveness from Joseph. And this is what Joseph says to them. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The point is, Joseph says, God's wisdom superseded your evil actions and intentions. And we thank Him and we praise Him for that. We see this in Romans 8, 28, familiar passage, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. In all things, God is working for the good of His people. That's remarkable, isn't it? It's hard to believe sometimes, but that's the promise that's given to us in Scripture, right? In all things, God is at work in His people's lives for their good. So God's wisdom, it's displayed in His providence. Just think about your own life now. Think about where you were born. Think about the family you were born into. Think about those who had an influence on you when you were young, those who helped shape you into the person you are today. Think about the teachers you had or the Sunday school teachers you had or, or whatever. Think, think about the things that happened to you, good things and bad things. All of it, all of it has come to you by God's wise providence. All of it has come your way because as far as your loving Heavenly Father is concerned, it was the best way to get you to the best place of glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. You're not there yet, of course, right? We're still here on earth, but we're going there. And even the things that happened to us this week serve this end as we, as we receive them by faith. Even in those times of trial, right? Even in those times of difficulty, that those things do not come to us by chance. They come to us by God's fatherly hand. Through them, He is shaping us and fashioning us and forming us into the image of Christ. He's helping us glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. Finally tonight, God's wisdom displayed in salvation. God's wisdom displayed in salvation. There are a couple times in Paul's letters when he speaks to us about God's wisdom being made known through salvation. One of those places is in 1 Corinthians 1. That's where he talks about the foolishness of God being wiser than man's wisdom. And he's talking there about Jesus on the cross, right? The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But all of it's tied in with that theme of wisdom. Another place he, he makes this connection is at the very end of Romans. Okay, the book of Romans, as many of you know, is really a, a theological treatise on redemption, And on how God has gone about saving people who were dead in their sin. And in the very last verse of the entire letter to the Romans, this is what Paul says. This is how he ends the letter. He says, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. It's the very last verse in Paul's letter to the Romans. So after writing what is basically an in-depth theological treatise on redemption and on salvation, wisdom is the attribute that he praises God for. I think that's fascinating. And think about it. God's wisdom is seen in redemption. It's seen at the the cross. We've taken a break today from our study of the books of the Bible, but, but recently we've been in the prophets. And what have we seen in the prophets? Well, we've seen God really setting forth two truths in each and every one of the prophetic books. One truth is that he is just. And he will, therefore, punish his people for their sin, right? We've seen that in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. 
At the same time, though, he's declared that he is, that he is merciful. And he refuses to cast his people off forever, and he will, he will bring them back. He will preserve a remnant. Now, if you think about all this, it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a problem. How, how can God be both of these things? How can he be just and punish his people for their sins, while at the same time be merciful and forgiving his people for their sins? How can he both treat sinners as their sins deserve and not treat sinners as their sins deserve? Throughout the Old Testament and in the prophets, both of these these realities are, are present. Of course, at the cross, we, we, we see how God does it. At the cross, God's wisdom, is, God's wisdom and salvation is revealed. There His justice and His mercy, they, they meet, they come together. The Belgic Confession explains it this way. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, sent His Son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had been committed in order to bear in it the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. So God made known his justice toward his Son, who was charged with our sin. And he poured out his goodness and his mercy on us, who are guilty and worthy of damnation, giving to us his Son to die by a most perfect love, and raising him to life for our justification, in order that by him we might have immortality and life. Okay, at the cross, we see God's wisdom and that he, he proves to be both just and merciful towards his people at the same time. There we see him punish his people's sin in the body of his son, while at the same time extending mercy to sinners through his son. There we see the best way of getting us to the best place. By making him who knew no sin become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So God is wise. God is wise. And what comfort we ought to find in that. I want to close tonight with these words from Tom Wells. The Christian rejoices in the wisdom of God. Heartache comes to him as it does to all men. Puzzles about the world's situation perplex him too. He has no inside information on the day-to-day acts of God. But the Christian has something better. He has faith in the wisdom of God. The Christian knows that God knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your wisdom in creation, for your wisdom in redemption, for your wisdom in providence. We thank you for the comfort we're able to live every day with, that you know what you're doing. Help us to believe that. Help us to be comforted by it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Why don't you stand for the parting blessing, and then we'll sing our closing song. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen. We're going to close with number 25, I think.